Welcome, hello, and welcome to the Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast with your host, Byron Rogers. This podcast is dedicated to the executive protection practitioner, the private security professional. In this podcast, we're going to talk about the mental, emotional, psychological, physiological fitness that goes into being an efficient and effective executive protection agent. Whether you're in law enforcement, whether you're a mom that's looking at how to protect your children or a father that's focused on how to protect his family, I believe this podcast has something for all of you. We might even get into some tales from the crypts of true Hollywood stories from time to time. I'm doing this podcast because I feel the reality of this job is simple. If you really want to be good at executive protection, it's more than just a job. It really is a lifestyle. And those of you who've been in the game for any serious amount of time, you already know what I'm saying is true. So if that sounds interesting to you, enjoy the show. Out. Boom. Yo, special announcement. We've got the very first Protector Symposium coming up this November 15th and 16th. Check the website, Byron Rogers Motivation, for more information about it. You can purchase tickets there. It's going to be amazing. We've got Ed Caldron and Yosef Badu coming on to teach us some hardcore soft skills. Check it out. Get involved. I guarantee you won't be disappointed. We're going to have a great time leveling up as protector. So check the website, ByronRogersMotivation.com or ExecutiveProtectionLifestyle.com for all the details and to purchase you and your security detail, police department, or families tickets out. Boom. Hey, what's up, guys? Byron Rogers here again with uh, Mike Knockout Lights. We are about to do an episode, and it's an honor to have you here with me, Mike. How are you doing today? Honor to be here, my friend. Good to see you. Thank you, man. It's been a long time coming, man. We are, you know, like trying to track town professionals to get these things done is probably the hardest part of the podcast, you know, because we're all (laughs) we're getting it in. We've been trying to plan this for two months. Yeah, easily. (laughs) I I made it out to one of your classes before we were able to set this thing up, man. And Um, did very well, by the way. Very impressive. Thank you. Thank you. And it was a fantastic class. I um. That review I shot out there was absolutely genuine. I loved how you were breaking everything down to the fundamentals. You gave us time to run through them, run through the fundamentals kind of your way um, and uh, get those things buttoned down before we started like hitting the gas and just doing like cool guy stuff in the class and like not learning anything. So I felt like I was a better shooter by the end of the day uh, because of those things. That awesome stuff. So shameless plug. It's I have changed my gears many times over the last 20 plus years on how I conduct classes. Mm. I, think I mentioned this to you before. I, you know, you, you, you so much want to impart knowledge, but at the same time, you want the students to have fun and feel, yeah. and feel like you're giving them something that's, um, you know, above their expectation. But mm. when you really talk about, drills and running and gunning and you know going from from barricade to barricade or cover to cover um all of that begins to fail if the fundamental understanding of how to run the gun is not there Uh just the whole system collapses if you can't make the tool work effectively and efficiently how do you expect to have the more dynamic application of using that tool um uh, to, to be deployed successfully. It's not, yeah. you're just, you're still, you're missing real fast and you're running yeah. around missing the target. <laughs> so 
you know, I, I kind of really pulled things back to let's fix things at the very basic level and see if by fixing those those small things, because it's usually small things, mm-hmm. does that translate into uh, greater execution once we start picking up the, the the dynamic nature of the drills? And I personally think it does. Heck and, yeah. Uh, so that's that's been my focus in the last few years of my classes. And it seemed like you were almost actively diagnosing the class and adjusting the curriculum based on like where we were, which was interesting. It's like, there's some guys that run the run classes that I've been doing. It's just like, this is the format. And like, I've tried, I've practiced teaching this. This is what we're going to move through. And then it seemed like you just kind of have done enough. Like, I don't know how long have you been teaching courses? Cause it just seemed like you were like, all right, these guys kind of need this. We're going to hit this. And, uh, it felt very like kind of tailored to where we were at as a class. And, and that's exactly what it was because, uh, you know, every class is different yeah. and, you know, we created an expectation of, of, I guess you would call it uh, prudent execution. And if that execution wasn't met, what is the point of accelerating past that point of failure without addressing the issues that are causing the failure? Right. Yeah. So, I'm, if I stay to a curriculum, which I sometimes have to, especially with post-type classes that are very uh, specifically designed to take you from A to Z in order to get a, you know, an instructor certification, mm-hmm. um, my individual classes are simply about improving skill set. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that I do a service to the, to the, to the student if I continue to push the drills to a higher standard when they have no ability to execute what I'm asking them to execute because of some uh, deficiency. So like, if you can remember our classes, we stepped it up. Ah, we got a high degree of failure here. How do we simplify this drill and address the cause of it? Reinforce those uh, mechanics or that, you know, discipline, whatever it might be by practicing it uh, redundantly and then seeing if we could bring it back to what we were doing and if we, if we improve execution uh, uh, skill and ability. Because at the end of the day, we can make fast noise, but we need to make the hit. Fast noise. <laughs> <clears throat> exactly. That's good, man. That's like a shirt. That's like a T-shirt right there. <laughs> <laughs> make fast noise. Yeah, man. Heck yeah. No, that's awesome. That's exactly right. I dig it. Um, okay. Awesome. So first question, who would you say that you are at your core, Mike? Well, you know, I mean, first and foremost, I, I think I'm a father. Um, yes, sir. You know, that's my, my highest calling is to create the next generation of moral, ethical, and responsible human beings wow. that, um, that I'm essentially responsible for developing, you know? Okay. And I, I, know, I don't have control over what's out there. But what I do have control over, which is myself and my children to some extent, I'm going to impart uh, to them as much of those values, um, as much of the knowledge that I have to, to make them successful human beings. Now, I don't know what that feels like for a boy. I only yeah. know what that feels like for a girl because I, I have three girls. <laughs> Man, is but, that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think that is... Really? what I am at the core, it, you know, my, my core value is how, how do I develop them? And in turn, you know, I can spread that out to develop other people. So mm-hmm. if anything, uh, I have learned to become a good mentor, uh, and, and, and 
I have been developing people my entire life from mm. my previous career as a banker, as a CEO, um, to, you know, the law enforcement capacities that I've served or that I'm serving in now. Mm. Um, I have taken leadership very seriously. And in that leadership to me is expressed not through control, but through mm. mentorship. If you right. don't develop the person that is subordinate to you, mm. you are doing yourself a disservice. You are not meeting the requirements and the expectation of a leader. Leaders mm. develop people. And you know what? The one thing that I have noticed in law enforcement is that leaders are very reluctant to develop people past their own skill level. Mm-hmm. A successful leader is the stupidest person at the helm. In the room. Yeah. Because they have made the right choices in, uh, uh, in the people yeah. they've chosen. Yeah, right. to get around them. So when I was the CEO of my company, I would tell everyone, I'm the stupidest person here. I just made the right choices in people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? And that's being able to relinquish a certain amount of control, uh, delegate authority, but hold people accountable to measurable objectives. And I do the same thing with my kids. You want something, earn it. Yeah. Prove that you want it, act responsible, and I'll give it to you. Whatever it is you want. Mm-hmm. And I think the same thing can be translated not only by being a good father, um, but that same level of mentorship and leadership can be transferred to any uh, walk of life in whatever you do. Heck yeah. Leadership 101, right? Right. <laughs> it is, <laughs> I man. think it's you know a-, a lot about that. I try, I try to stay up on it, man. I'm with you 100% raising. I try to raise officers, man. You know, I, I, I'm right there with you. Like I try to anyone that's under me or that's working with me, the idea is to get them to be able to run the thing better than I can, you know, without me being there. But yeah. So at your core, it sounds like you're like a mentor an instructor. You, you're not just jacked and tan, bro. You're like strong and, and deep. You're smart and deep. You know, that's what's up. I appreciate that. Well, you know, you, you buy, you buy a big truck that can yeah. pull a lot of weight for when you need it. <laughs> right. But at the end of the day, drive it economically so you can get the best out of it. Heck yeah. you need to, but have the ability to turn up the gas when you need it. If I was frail and I was unable to take care of business, then, you know, when I need that skill set or that ability, I haven't yeah. nurtured it. I haven't developed it. So a lot of it is just having reserve something in reserve yeah. that you can pull from when you need it most. 100%. You know? So I stay in shape and I, I try to do my best uh, to, uh, I'm an old dude, so it's amazing yeah. I'm still vertical. With all <laughs> Heck the yeah, man. <laughs> no, I dig it, man. I'm all about it. Like I, 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 you know, I try to be as strong as I can and I learned a lesson early in the EP game when, you know, uh, strength is good, you know, but power comes from, you know, the proper application of knowledge. And so I spent the first half of my life dedicating it to like, you know, Marine Corps and getting as physically capable as I can and getting ready to go to war and then uh, getting pulled into, you know, a top tier private security position. And then I realized like, yo, this is only going to get me so far. So I started investing in like learning and trying to understand how to really gain more ability and options in life. Uh, just making different decisions and things. And it really is about that. It's like, I might not ever really need to use all of the strength I have, but I got it. I got yep. the option. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's and you can see that I have the option. Half of that is controlling the environment, just them knowing, okay, well, this guy brings accountability. Like I can't do what I want with this guy here. You know, he's going to, he's going to have a say, you know, uh, and, and, you know, you talk a lot about in your, in your, little segments that you do um, about the word discipline. 
man, which is probably the most underutilized concept around because successful people have something in common. And that's, that is discipline. That really is. (laughs) If you lack discipline, you lack follow through. Mm -hmm. And without discipline, everything that you do has a potential, a greater potential to fail. And failure is simply you conceding that you cannot do something. Mm-hmm. It is not a circumstance. It is a choice. Mm-hmm. Now, we can fail and lose our life, but, you know, we gave it our best shot. And that's at least you, you tried, tried your best. But people that have no will nor fortitude to stay the course uh, make themselves failures by choice, not yeah. by circumstance. And a lot mm-hmm. of that has to do with, with discipline. I, yeah. I think you share the same, the same uh, sentiments that I do on that. God, there's a lot of flies. Dang, man. <laughs> I must Heck be yeah. They're all over me, these flies. Oh, no. <laughs> Jeez, man. Those things. So, get yeah, me. I like your messages, Byron. You, you know, you, you, you're, you're a smart guy. You're a critical thinker. And part of that is being introspective. And some yeah. people don't feel that being introspective all the time uh, is tough. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, you're so metaphysical or you're so introspective, you know, always trying to work on yourself. Just shut up and get the job done. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but maybe I'm not satisfied with how I'm getting the job done. So yeah. you know, introspection, knowing where our weak points are and forging those and making them more effective. Part uh, part of knowing thyself yes. is identifying your weaknesses and not being afraid to to admit them Jeez. to yourself or others and and fix the problem. Right. what's it's 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 a novel concept but it actually works absolutely man and it's like it's like you know i'm not my inadequacy i am my inadequacies i can look at myself and be like okay like i gotta work on this this and that but i think where people fail is they don't realize that like i know the path to getting better it's discipline you know what I'm saying? Like, I know, like, even if I know that I don't know how to fix that problem, I know I believe in myself enough to know that I can figure out how to do it. You know, it's age information, you know? Yeah, we can figure it out and then we can get after it. But I think a lot of people, because they don't ever face themselves, because they don't know if they can get better, that they run their entire lives from their inadequacies. And then you point one out to them and it's like they have to die a small death to face it. Because they haven't been facing anything. And it's like, you know, confidence comes from experience. And, you know, the things I've been through in my life, the things you've done in your life, you can look most pretty much anything in the eye now and be kind of like, all right, like I'll deal. (laughs) I mean, like I didn't die. The lion didn't kill me. The bear didn't kill me. You know, this, that, and the next thing in Iraq didn't kill me. So, by the grace of God, I'll deal or I'll do my best and I'll die with my honor. <laughs> you know, right, like right. this is always we weren't going to survive anyway. Um, <laughs> and and yeah, a lot man, of what thanks. you're talking about, too, you know, and this is what goes back to experience and people. Um, people like to use experience as a means to establish why they're somehow better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. what experience gives you is perspective. Mm-hmm. perspective someone else may not have it doesn't necessarily give you skill Mm-mm. it gives you perspective skill is something that is forged oftentimes outside of the actual event mm-hmm. but those events if you survive them or you win them add perspective and that mm-hmm. perspectives sometimes gives you direction mm-hmm. so you know a lot of people who make the argument that um you know 
experiences the sole reason for them to be where they're at, that's part of the truth, but it's not all the truth. So, you know, I would rather measure the man or the woman uh, by their conduct, by what they're able to um, provide an individual, right? Um, as, as As a matrix or a measure for uh, success rather than these are all the things I've done. Therefore I am the expert. Yeah. Right. So it's a very, it's a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's just so much, so many, it's such an ego driven, the firearms and self-defense in general, such an ego driven (laughs) business. I mean, golly, it is man. Shot show. I'm always like, I got to prepare myself. (laughs) <laughs> I always have to prepare myself for the conversations. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm still never gonna forgive that guy that I I've met one dude. And he just rolled up on. I was like, just like, hey, I'm Byron, and he's like, hi, I'm Jeff, Navy SEAL, eight years. Would you like? What's your background? I'm like, I'm Byron, bro. <laughs> like, I'm just Byron. Like, yeah, I was in the Marine Corps. Can we hang out? Am I good? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I love enough? Shot Show. Yeah, yeah, I love yeah. Shot Show. I enjoy the heck out of it, but. It is well, like the mecca of the ego-driven. Like you see it all there. I see it all there. God's right. Yeah. It, it, it's um, it, to me, it's an insecure argument. You know, yeah. if, you, if you've got to constantly defend why you why you have a right to do what you do, um, you're obviously insecure about it, right? Just yeah. Be you. Demonstrate you know, it. Make, yeah. Just be you. <laughs> you, mm. you know, we're the sum of our experiences. A hundred percent, man. And um, what you're saying too is dangerous, I believe, for me in the private security industry and then also in the firearms game because it's like people like to act like because they were once upon a time, you know, the grandmaster, like ultra special forces, whatever, that they can still, you know, that they have like a right to do and say certain things. And I'm kind of like, at least in my industry, I don't have time for it. Like, it's awesome that once upon a time you were whatever, but today you know, looking at you, like, are you still in shape? Can you still do what we need you to do when we get to work today? (laughs) You know, like I respect the heck out of what you've done and where you've come from. But the argument we always have is just like, Hey man, like, can you still perform now? Uh, and that's the whole, that's, that's, those are the magic beans. You know what I'm saying? Um, at, At the end of the day, buddy, an asshole with experience or without is still an asshole. Yeah. Right? Just don't be an asshole. It's just don't be, you know, <laughs> don't do it. So tactical background, man. What can yeah. you share with us? What's your, uh, the uh, infamous question. What's what what have I done? What am I doing? Well, yeah. I mean, I have, I have instructed or provided an instructor venue for over 24 years. Uh, my facility hosted all of the canines in this County police dogs, uh, for, both federal and state um, for our entire county plus adjacent counties for nearly 24 years. Uh, Also, my range serviced many of the departments, local departments um, and agencies would train at my facility. And everything kind of stopped and changed around June of last year Mm -hmm. because of changes in permits. For me, I've been sworn going on 13 years, Uh, been on the SWAT team for over 12 years. Uh, Number one, two or three in the door. Uh, I've missed one. One deployment in almost in those 12 plus years, I've made every one partly because I'm close to where I work. So mm-hmm. needless to say, I'm usually the first on scene because uh, okay. I am so close, geared up and ready to go. Uh, very busy town, a smaller department, but uh, riddled with gangs, uh, gang violence, um, uh, lots of dope. Uh, but it, it's a busy city with a lot of problems. So Awesome. We, we get our fair share of experiences um, 
as far as the deployments and even just the general police contacts we have on a daily basis. It's, it's a difficult city to work in. Uh, on top of that, I'm a uh, post-certified firearms instructor, tactical rifle instructor, SIG master LE instructor. Um, I hold a number of those credentials, which essentially what that means is uh, I work with a team of guys. We instruct other instructors for their department. So we turn people uh, come to us to become firearms instructors so that they can instruct their, uh, their officers at their respective departments. And they come from all over the country for that uh, endeavor. And POST stands for Police Officer Standards and Training. And that's kind of the governing body of, uh, you know, what is acceptable, uh, sec- acceptable lesson plans to, uh, to give to uh, officers to develop them into what they deem appropriate for instructor status. I have a different opinion, but, you know, the <laughs> yeah. curriculum has to be approved uh, by post. And a lot of it, I'll be frank, is lowest common denominator training. You know, and, and that people, in the military. what's, yeah, and, and people, you know, people chastise that mm. and say, you know, officers need to be better trained. Military guys need to be better trained. And, you know, when at the best case scenario at a general patrol level, you get to touch these guys 12 times for one hour per year. Uh, that's month. That's range every month. Some of them are quarterly. Some of them uh, are semi-annually. They shoot uh, 50 rounds semi-annually, some departments. Semi-annually. Yeah, semi-annually. So even shooting 100 rounds a month, I do that. I, I will shoot and exceed what most officers shoot in a year in a quarter of a day. Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, same here. The argument then is, well, these officers should have pride in what they do, go outside of what their department provides as far as training. And I'm, I'm saying firearms training because there's other, there's lots of other training. There's so many other things. But yeah. I'm saying just firearms training, you know, pr- pressing the trigger mm-hmm. to, to get, to develop themselves to a higher standard. And while I agree with that, um, that's very hard when you work, you know, three or four 12-hour shifts, you have a family, and your priority is not uh, probably the most remote thing that's going to happen to you on your job, which is press the trigger. It's a very infrequent event. If you look at the average call and the types of calls uh, most officers uh, are making day to day, although there might be violent encounters where you're you're using a to point a taser, a baton, or OC, or drawing your gun, mm-hmm. shooting someone is is low priority for most patrol level officers. A lot higher for SWAT guys, but mm-hmm. nevertheless, it's an economic thing. Training is pure economics. Mm-hmm. It's you know it, it, it's question. simply do we can, the departments want to know can we minimize liability mm-hmm. by justifying some level of competency through some form of qualification. Right. They qualify. Yeah. So therefore, they're good. But as far as developing skills to a higher level, it's not something that's required. Only minimal standards are required. So, you know, I commend officers that go outside of their agencies to seek higher level of training. But, you know, you can't mandate it for everyone. And that's why you have this disparagement of, of skill level within a lot of agencies is there's people that are into it and there's people that are not. Into it. Yeah. And frankly, you know, I, you know <laughs> I think it's just important to have an officer um, who's really good at community policing. 
treat people yeah. with respect. Yeah. You know, not intimidate people. <laughs> Gain you know, equity make them smile, the make them laugh. Yeah. Let them thank you after you give them a citation or take them to jail because you treated them with respect. Yeah. You know, and I think that's training too. You know, how to be a good ambassador of uh, uh, and a good uh, civil servant. Absolutely. And that is treating your constituency with some respect, even if they're going to try to kill you. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. I, so, uh... you know, kind of, the, kind of the story that is untold is uh, to me, law enforcement training in general is below substandard. Below what they train is below substandard because <laughs> it's under the premise that it's better than nothing. <laughs> better than nothing, yeah, but it's not better. It's not good. Enough. And we and I talked before about there's a difference between being just good and there's a difference being great. Mm-hmm. Like that book from Jim Collins, Good to Great. Yeah. Yeah. Great book, right? Do you want to be Absolutely. good or do you want to be great? Because because being good is right here, being great is way over here. And and you've got to you've got to work for the great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't you don't get it for free. Yeah, I mean, we we had this bad joke. I was just in another country overseas, and my buddy was like, "You know what I've noticed over here? Things are nothing's really done with excellence. Everything's just good enough." Right. <laughs> and it was just <laughs> terrible how just accurate goodbye. he was. Everything was just good enough. We're driving on roads, and the two cars have to slow down and like kind of inch past each other because it's just good enough for everybody to fit down the road. Uh, no, but isn't I, that a recipe for life? Isn't that what most people do with their life? Absolutely. They just get by. Yeah, just good you enough. You don't want to go the extra mile to be more successful yeah. or to be better at what they do. It's, 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 life is sometimes for people just getting by. And that's what separates people as far as success yeah. are the ones that just are okay with status quo and getting by. And I tell people that success, the people that are most successful you can't, it's very hard to be a successful cop. You're never going to be rich being a cop. Yeah. A lot of them make over $200,000 a year, you know, mm. decent income, but yeah. success is definitely is, is, is connected to the amount of risk you're willing to take. Mm. Successful people are willing to risk everything to get ahead. Mm-hmm. People that are not risk takers in that okay, respect are just gonna, they're going to be in that comfortable box well yeah if you go outside your box are you comfortable no well that's where you need to be to be truly successful and stay there and then you need yeah. to find another box that's uncomfortable and, and go hop you, in that one <laughs> yep and if you fail you start over again you don't give but, up yeah but you have the confidence to know that you can start all over again because you've whipped it on a couple times and you're like well i'll just figure it out <laughs> you know what i mean you have yeah. that equity that internal capital that trust with yourself from these experiences yeah man no that's good stuff and then it comes back to discipline you know it's like are you hungry and then and do you have that drive and do you can you muster up the discipline to get after it no that's good stuff i I don't talk about successes very much on social media you know Uh, uh, people might assume from all the stuff that i have that i've uh you know that i've had success in my life but one of those is education you know I have a yeah. master's degree from uh, from Pepperdine. It's a well-known private okay. university. Absolutely. And, and to me, education is super important. Yeah. And with education, there are connections. You get connections with people. You are able to collaborate with other successful people, develop your mind. And, you know, they, you know shooting is a kind of a gross skill, but a tactic 
is a thinking process. Mm-hmm. The people who are deploying prudent tactics and making right decisions, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you could get lucky and be inherently tactical, but mm-hmm. a tactic is a thinking process. So the smarter you are at deploying your tactics, the more successful you are at, uh, at, at implementing them. Absolutely. So, you know, it, success comes in many forms, but I think the basis for success is always drive discipline and it doesn't help to be smart. It doesn't it hurt helps to, be to be smart. smart. Doesn't yeah, 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 yeah. No, I agree 100% because <laughs> something I learned is, yo, because I remember my, my drill instructors are like, well, Rogers, you're not that smart. We're going to make you real strong. <laughs> and, I was, and it really was the case because I couldn't remember my general orders and all kinds of stuff early on. It's uh, easy, bro. It's easy. When, when you're dumb, you got to be tough. You got to be. <laughs> you're dumb, which, you got to be tough. Yeah, I'm which paid off because then I was like kind of like ballsy enough to do a bunch of bolder things in life, which then worked out, you know. But uh, You're a sharp guy. You always have it. Doesn't mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, and I, you don't have to be a. You don't have to be a, 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 a rocket scientist mm-hmm. to make good choices and, you know, and learn. Yeah, 100%. You don't have to have a, a, a genius IQ to be a smart person. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. And I, um, accumulatively, I think because I started out kind of not being able to read and write so good, I've been working on myself accumulatively enough, reading enough audiobooks, and, you know, I'm finishing my master's here in a month and doing all this stuff. That now I'm kind of like, oh, well, we have acquired an accumulative like intelligence along with a confidence um, that is an ultra valuable that I, I wish that I could just give to other people, but they have to earn for themselves, you know. Um, so it's, it's very interesting. And what I learned through that whole journey is you can try really hard. You can be remarkably consistent. But if you're not becoming more and more intelligent on your journey, you will die tired. You'll die tired and life doesn't care. <laughs> you're like nope. your, your mom will tell you you're special the whole time. You'll fail and you'll die tired. You'll be the best dress at Walmart and it just will yeah. suck. <laughs> the word fair does not apply to life. Unfortunately. Yeah, no, it doesn't. You want man. it to, but it doesn't. Right. Um, so what got you into law enforcement? Why, what was, what's your mission? You know, why, why you're up in there? So it's a funny story because, um, you know, I, 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 was involved in the training aspect for so long. Really? But the funny thing is, is officers just have a tough time relating to someone who hasn't done the job. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, I I can see that anywhere. So it's like, what do you know? You you (laughs) teach us how to shoot a gun, but you've never helped people work in. You never, you never did it. Mm -hmm. And because I got that opposition for so long, I retired from my position. I went back to the basics. I went to an academy, police academy. I, I got hired, went to a police mm-hmm. academy, was a boot, started mm-hmm. all over uh, from the beginning and worked my way up. Um, yeah. You know, fortunately, I, I was already working with a lot of these these officers. You know, I, I literally got on the SWAT team pretty much as a boot because yeah, I was already had a relationship with all the guys on the SWAT team. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, um, but with that being said, it, it, it did give me perspective. It did change. I mean, there was some truth to that. You didn't uh-huh. do the job. So, yeah. you know, how do you know what it's like? So it was interesting having so many years of training and, and defensive tactics that applied to law enforcement, actually going into law enforcement and how those, how my experiences changed my lesson plan. Like, wow, you know I, I don't, 
I, 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 things have evolved, which I think they should anyways. Experience or no always. experience, training yeah. should always evolve based on your understanding of yeah. what's happening, what works, what doesn't work. That's how what? tactics are born. It's not like, oh, this is my opinion of a good tactic. No, what mm-hmm. works? Learn from the guys overseas. Yeah. You know, learn from right what, it looks, what it feels like to actually be an ambush, which is something that's generally rare in law enforcement. You yeah. know, these guys are going through thresholds, going through doors with a preemptive attack already established through a stronghold. Uh-huh. And they're, and these guys are dropping the entry teams. Uh-huh. So these are the tactics that were working for those ambushes. And law enforcement adopted a lot of those same strategies uh-huh. and same tactics based on combat deficiencies uh, and failures overseas. And as the military began to integrate with civilians more, believe it or not, the military started adopting tactics from SWAT teams and from law enforcement because Mm -hmm. it's not okay to shoot a kid and it's not okay to shoot an unarmed person. Ever. Right? So, you know, even though the rules of engagement may be a little different, uh, I think the military actually found that they were backing off some of their SOPs uh, and attempting to de-escalate situations rather with with words, yeah. with devices, right? Rather mm-hmm. than just with weapons. Yeah, because you got to get those hearts and minds. Otherwise, your enemy will multiply if you're dealing with an yeah. insurgency. How, you know, <laughs> you, you want to shoot as part of casualty of war before the the, the people you're trying to help turn on you. Appreciate what you're doing anymore. Yeah, and they so, start up on the other side. Yeah. So a, a lot of the entry strategies where people don't understand will post stuff. I, I post very mm. little tactics on my page because mm. there's just such a hot topic. But, you know, if you think about a, a SWAT deployment, just take a, a house, for instance. Yeah. Uh, you've got a bad guy in there with a gun, has a hostage, doesn't have a hostage. He needs to come out. Mm. Right. He's got a gun. We've got inner outer perimeter. We've secured the area. What is the rush to go in? What is the rush to make entry? What is the rush to dynamically enter that? Why not exhaust? Yeah, why do we have to go shock troop? Whatever it is, whether it's communication, whether it's a throw phone, whether it's gassing them out, everything is an escalation of force. Mm. You know, he starts shooting rounds out of the window, you know, story changes, exigency changes. But, you know, law enforcement generally only uses dynamic entry for two purposes nowadays, and that's hostage rescue and active shooter. Yeah. Wait them out. Why rush? Yeah, I was doing a a shoot house with a SEB friend of mine, and I'm like moving through the house, and he's like, "What you rushing for?" And I'm like, "He's like, what did he say?" He goes, "He goes, he goes, where are you running to?" And I'm like, "I'm I'm clearing the house." And he's like, "How long do you have to clear this house?" And I'm like, "Uh, I, "I I don't know." And he's like, "The rest of your life." (laughs) he's like you have the rest of your life to clear this house gonna go he's like you're running to your death why rush (laughs) to your own death yeah Yeah. and i'm like ooh, and it was so true you know uh but it it definitely changed my mind on all that a lot of the cqb stuff at least my understanding at the time um but yeah no that's uh, it's never okay to shoot kids man you know it's it's uh rules of engagement people are people so it's hearts and minds I mean, no matter what happens, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, times have changed and everything's connected. You'll be on the news. The whole world will see you fail, you know, (laughs) these days, you know, so it's like the stakes are always higher, you know, even in combat zones now. Yeah, man. So let's see. What do you love most about what you do? 
Well, I mean, my first and foremost uh, love is is developing others. Uh, okay. Teaching, and it, I think that if you've you followed my page, yeah, um, for long enough, you will easily be able to see that I'm giving out way too much information for free. <laughs> um, demonstrating a lot of value on your page, constantly demonstrating value, which I think is awesome. So I think it's safe to say that I am not motivated by what I do yeah. uh, by the dollar. That's not my objective. My objective is to pass on information, hopefully to good folks and not bad folks, mm-hmm. uh, that will assist them in either improving their skill, improving their understanding, um, and maybe adding to, uh, to their repertoire. So if they do get into uh, a fight, that some of those principles can be translated into success. Mm-hmm. And I have... I cannot tell you, I saved these, but how many officers and people over the last four years have sent me direct messages saying, this is a circumstance I got into, I got into a shooting. These are the things I deployed that I learned from your page, that I learned from you. And they likely contributed to my success and saved saved my life and helped me win the fight. Those things are gold. Those are gold. I mean, I can't, I can't. You can't, can't put, put a price, a price tag. Yeah, on. that's priceless. Priceless stuff. So you know that's what matters to me is imparting yeah. information, and and without remuneration. Uh, you know, I make money on my classes, but I don't mm. need to. My my financial success is not has nothing to do with social media, nothing mm. to do with police officer stuff, nothing to do with training. It's I do it because I enjoy it and I like it. Absolutely. If anything, I lose money every time I do a I set up a class or I <laughs> post something on social media because it's a waste of my time. Yeah, right. You're doing it purely it for life. passion. That's awesome, man. That's an. You said you're CEO of a bank. Yeah, I, uh, I was a uh, mortgage banker. Mm-hmm. Um, we securitized. We were direct lender. Securitized um, both our private private money and Fannie Freddie stuff. Yeah. On the secondary market, so basically, we would pool large amounts of trust deeds um, that uh, we originated and uh, secure those on the secondary market. So it was it had a lot to do with buy and sell of mortgage-backed securities, mm-hmm. but um, had fourteen hundred employees. So we weren't a huge company, but you know we were a successful company. Absolutely. And uh, I was done in '06. I just got out. I was done. I wanted to retire. Heck. Yeah. So, and then you were like, ah, well, what else do I want to do? You know, like, well, it, it, part of it. And so I had my training company, Yeah. And my other businesses, my passion was towards law enforcement and training. Although I loved being the boss of, yeah. and, 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 and being successful. So that was a shift in my career focus when I had an opportunity to retire out of one thing and pick something up new that I had already been part of for so oh, many wow. years. Yeah. So, you know, essentially I had two different jobs, um, but my aptitude was for both. But my preference was I want to stick to, I don't relate to, I don't relate to white collar people particularly well. I relate to blue collar people. Thank you. <laughs> I choose, I cho- I, you know, I ride horses. You got your dip, I man, yeah. years. I, you know, I mean. Yeah, I, heck I, yeah, I, dude. I like it. I like running my tractors. I don't want to go to a country club. I don't want to be on a yacht. Yeah. I don't want to sit with down to dinner with wine and a five thousand dollar dinner with people and little pieces of food. Rolex yesterday. I don't relate to that. Yeah, I dig it. I can play in that game. Right. Who I am. 
Right, so right. I have I like I like simpler folks. Yeah, I'm with you. Deal with what's on that are less focused on what's on the outside and yeah. more focused on what's on the inside. And not yeah. to say that the business people aren't like that, but I don't care how much money you have. I don't care right. what new Mercedes or Rolls you bought last week. Right. You know what I mean? I I, I completely know what you mean. That, but the people that a lot of the people that are that have succeeded are pieces of shit. <laughs> what do they do for other people? Yes. What do you do for other people other than take? Yeah. What yeah. you do for other people? Absolutely. Right? So now, uh, I, I had to at least be honest with myself. That was not a world that I related to. I mm. related to the just the average person who's just trying to live their life, be a good parent, raise their kids, and and you know try to try to have some tools that they might need to protect themselves and their family. Heck yeah! Simple as that. And plus, yeah. the cops out there that are doing a shitty—they're doing—they they have a shitty job. Yeah, they have a tough friggin' job. Heck yeah. Um, nah, man, I love that. I completely agree with you. I've seen the same thing. I had to move out of, like, you know, I work out of Orange County, but I had to move like to Orange because I was, it was just constant friction, like going to work for, you know, the VVIPs and then walking around in like Laguna Beach and like everyone's like, hi, what do you do? And I've got my new this and my that and my, oh, you only have the this and that. And ah, I just, I just deal with it. You you deal with it in your career. You're protecting people that are wealthy and you know exactly the ones that are down to earth and good people and the ones that treat, you know, just protect me. We don't, you're in, you should be invisible when we we want to see you and we want to see you. Absolutely. Yeah. When there's a problem that I probably yeah. created by not listening to you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like it's, it's, right. it's exactly. <laughs> and that, that's, I, I've worked, I've worked with uh, some, I'm not going to give out names, but yeah. uh, security personnel that work for high value subjects like actors and singers. Oh, and yeah. they make your job miserable. It's like, <laughs> this is what you need to do to be safe. But and then they you're go telling me that to the you're right. All this random <laughs> shit that i've got to account for and you want me to be responsible for your security <laughs> like you're gonna run oh there's a chick over there i'm gonna run over here in a busy bar because yeah. you're, gonna, you're gonna ruin my game stay in the back don't how do i supposed to protect you, you right and then about, right? when his boyfriend when her boyfriend's coming trying to get into the bottle service area because <laughs> yeah i mean it's my problem now right right it, yeah you know, so uh, that is the challenge in your career for sure is mm-hmm. controlling your principal's behavior. Yeah, yeah. This social dynamics piece, man. And yep. controlling the different options. And you know what I mean? It's yep. that's it the is game. A job. <laughs> and it depends on your clients, vetting your clients, choosing the correct clients so you have less of that to deal with. Uh that's really that's really helped. But yeah, man, so that's the game. What would yep. you say about um what types of mistakes do you see with regards to law enforcement or that I think, you know, officers or protectors should be most kind of worried about? What types of things do you hear or see in your world that go wrong? So elaborate. Or like what type of, or like what type of negligence should people um, or a law enforcement officers look out for, you know, really? Go ahead. are, Are you talking about negligence in the sense of the things that they may do to, uh, while interacting with the communities that they serve that would present challenges uh, legally or, or policy wise, or are you saying, where are some of the, what are, what are some of the shortcomings that I see from general law enforcement as far as skill level? Which um, 
I think like, you know, for the average guys working in law enforcement, like what are some of the pitfalls? I would say operationally kind of pitfalls that guys get into that may, you know, that like for us in the Marine Corps, it was like complacency kills, you know, like nothing happens for a long period of time. Everyone starts thinking everything's fine. And then, um, you know, they make mistakes. They don't do the things that they need to do. And we fail because of it, you know, sure. today. Yeah. Yeah. With you guys in law enforcement, I feel like terrain's changing so much with all the different social dynamics and political things. You know, are there any things that stand out that you think officers you know, pitfalls that they can fall into that uh, can make their job harder. Well, I, I think complacency is a big one. Uh, you know, you do a hundred traffic stops in a week mm -hmm. and, you know, all it takes is one for you to let your guard down and uh, you're done. <laughs> so complacency is, is a big, yeah. is a big factor, uh, you know, because most of the job is interacting, solving problems. Yeah. And doing a lot of paperwork. That's yeah. <laughs> and doing a lot of paperwork straight yeah. up. It's problem solving. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, through that problem solving, there's an investigative uh, nature to it. Has there been a crime committed? Is this criminal? Is this civil? Is this a non-issue? So, you know, your contacts are scrubbed through that process. You know, it has, has a crime taken place that I need to take action? Now, some crimes, we don't have discretion. You know, DUI, uh -huh. domestic abuse, you know, any domestics where there's injury. We don't have spirit of the law. We have letter of the law. We are mandated uh -huh. to take action. The rest of it is more of a spirit of the law. You know, okay, uh, yeah, you made a mistake. I can use my discretion to uh, decide on what the outcome is going to be of this event. So where some of these pitfalls occur, other than complacency, is I think that law enforcement has a tendency to forget, and I think we talked about this briefly before, is I can't make someone respect me. Right. So I have got to, I've got to deploy an ongoing attempt to continually de-escalate the situation. And earn that respect. If respect comes out of the way that you treat people, I feel that there's a higher level of compliance based on establishing that uh that respect Rapport. and that mutual respect is something that is now uh earned between the both of you uh -huh. an example of that is the let's use gangs for instance gang members uh -huh. with two years in the gang unit you know these guys are punks but think about how they what is important intrinsically important to them to them respect, respect is the intrinsically important so as you're cussing them out and lecturing them in front of their homies they can't take them you think they're going to respect you? Right. But if you pull them aside and, and you treat them with respect, I'm not saying drop your uh, officer awareness, yeah. your, 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 uh, your security in any way, you know, clear them, do what you need to do, but then talk to them like a human being and you will be surprised. And don't be, don't be under the illusion that these people won't kill you if they right. have the opportunity. Exactly. But do you know how many times I've had, I've treated some of them with respect, sat them down with some of their homies there. And those little kids start chipping off that don't know you and they get schooled by their own guy. Uh -huh. Hey, shut the F up. He's a good dude. Keep your uh -huh. mouth clean. Right? So yeah. schooling their own. And so a little bit of respect actually went a long way 
into obtaining a level of compliance, right? Versus me making you comply. Right. Because if I make you comply, I'm now escalating that force. Yeah, it's high friction. And so who's escalating, me or you? So every contact that I have, my attempt is to de-escalate, bring you back down, qualify why your behavior is, hey, man, why are you yelling at me? Because you freaking cops always stop me. I'm sick and tired of your shit. Mm-hmm. Every freaking day I'm getting pulled over for something else. I didn't do nothing. I'm just walking down the street. You're on probation, right? Yeah, I'm on probation. Hey, man, I'll tell you. Take a step back. You ever talked to me before? No. I go, don't treat me that way, and I won't treat you that way. We, mm-hmm. You don't even know who I am. Maybe I'm just a nice guy. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> this, officer, this officer was such an yeah, asshole. Yeah, so being, are we not developing rapport? Right, absolutely. If now I'm you guys are on like this your level. Behavior, your behavior was not acceptable. And you know what? Spending a few minutes to develop rapport changes outcomes of contacts. And if I could, if I could, I said this to you before, the best cops are salesmen. Heck yeah. That's awesome. And if you can sell yourself to these people, that's another bringing your use of force down substantially. If you're going to fight, you're going to fight, but don't talk yourself into a fight because it's over. You're disrespecting the badge. Nah, you don't need to respect me, bud, but you do need to comply with me. Right. That's that by law, you got to comply, but you don't have to respect me. But I'll tell you, I'm going to earn your respect because I'm going to treat you nicely so long as you treat me nicely. Okay. So I, I use three. I use three categories. I'm going to ask you. And I'm going to ask you nicely. Hey, man, have a seat on the curb there for me for just a minute. Oh, F you, you friggin pig. Hey, man, come on. OK. You know, I might ask a couple times yeah. before I go to the next level. I'm going to tell you. If you don't, if I ask you nicely and you don't, I'm gonna tell you, sit your ass down on the curb. I'm not gonna tell you again. And if that doesn't work, I'm gonna make you. So it's I say it's three choices, but I can stay in choice number one a couple times. I can as long as I'm not compromising officer safety in any way, mm-hmm. I can spend a little time to de-escalate your anger and your frustration because you know, Joe Schmo, the cop, treated you with disrespect the last time you had contact. Mm-hmm. And this is about the caring part for people. Because law enforcement is as much as it is about enforcement, isn't it about compassion too? Heck, it's got to be. Shouldn't it be about compassion for people? Yeah, even in and Iraq, people, it was it was about compassion. You had to operate with that. You lose rapport of the city, you're yeah. gonna get smoked, bro. Yeah, you're gonna get overwhelmed. Yep. So, yeah. so knowing how to engender certain elements of human contact, does that not make your job easier in the long run? And Absolutely. I think a lot of officers lose patience. It's like another POS. Yeah. Giving me shit. I'm going to take it up here and make you do what I need you to do instead of spending the extra moment to develop that rapport. And I think, I think that's a deficit that I see in a lot of agencies is the officers just don't want to go the extra mile to, to develop a rapport with their constituents. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, it works. All I can say is it's worked for me. Yeah. Still here. I've had lots of violent encounters, but I'm still here. And I have very, my use of force is very, very low. Mm-hmm. I don't have to beat people up. I don't have to fight people because yeah. I use my mouth and my brain without compromising officer safety to resolve the problem. And I think mm-hmm. that makes a good officer. And that's why officers that have a little age on them sometimes make better officers because they're, they're not proving why they are, in charge yeah proving why you're in charge is a fruitless endeavor absolutely you're never gonna win why you're better or why you're in charge 
absolutely. You don't, you don't get people to comply that way. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. That's a great That's answer to that. Your question. No, that was, you killed it, man. Absolutely. That was like a fantastic uh, answer to it. What would you say the hardest lessons, I mean, that might've been part of it, hardest lessons you've learned on the street doing cop police work? Well, by far the hardest lesson is the street ain't shit. It's internal. Okay. It's what is in, police eat their own. Okay. I Give me the street all day long over what goes on administratively within a department. And I, any cop that says it's otherwise, uh, it has just not done it long enough. Okay. Um, there are so many checks and balances. There are so that the, the talk about the the need to be transparent. At least the agency that I work for, and the other agencies I've 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 worked with over the years, um, departments are very self conscious about community awareness of what goes on. So there are so okay. many checks and balances. And as a result of so many years of, I think, um, abuse within departments, you know, where there was this, you know, the thin blue line, we use all these things to the, the this fraternal order of police, like there's Little this boys. club trying to break that pattern of this club mentality <clears throat> where it's us mm-hmm. against them that they simply eat their own. Any chance, it's always, whatever occurs, the officer is always at initially at fault. They initially blame the officer. Mm-hmm. There's just not a lot of support administratively for their troops Man. because of that need to be blatantly transparent. And, and while that's a good thing, uh, as far as the shortcomings, um, yeah. that's where they're at. The, there's so much in the internal pressure. The pressure comes internally far more than the job uh, provides right. externally. Wow. And I, I think most most police officers will agree with that, um, that most of their frustration is coming from within and not without mm. or from it. Yeah, that's I hate that feeling, man. We had that happen in Iraq when I was there. It was like during the time when the detainees were taking the when they made the detainees take the naked pictures. And like there were some rules of engagement issues we had. And man, they were just you just didn't feel safe. We were literally in a firefight and I had officers yelling at me like, what are you firing at? You know, like, make sure you ID your, like just us, we're getting yelled at and we're trying to fight at the same time. And like, we get back to base and they'd be like, we want a round count of every single round you fired, like, and, and, and uh, written, like we, it got stupid, but it was this feeling of knowing like, yo, when things happen, maybe they don't have our backs. Like we need to really, you know, it was, it was a really kind of an insecure way to go into battle would be the best way for me to yep. sum it up. It was not positive. Think how that translates to conduct on the street. So now mm-hmm. because of so much internal pressure, officers are reluctant to act a certain way out of yeah. fear that their department won't support their actions. And mm-hmm. second guessing will kill you. So you, you're going to, you're going to get killed by second guessing your decisions. Yeah, that's, that's so the dichotomy. That's, yeah, so that's where that, that uh, that mechanism fails is we're starting to question, you know, this guy needs to be taken down, but I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to do what I know I need to do because I don't know if my department's going to have my back or not. Mm. So, you know, I mean, I think it's yeah. just truth. I'm not afraid to say the truth. Yeah. I mean, it, it is what it is. And I don't know if it's like that in every department in America, but a lot of the big ones, you know, everything you do is very, is scrutinized nice. um, for good reason because you know everyone is measured by the one person who screwed up. Well, Bob screwed up, 
So all 1,000 of you officers are now going to have to comply to his one mistake. Yeah. This is bureaucracy at its finest, right? So <laughs> rules and policies are not developed by the masses. It's just like gun laws, right? One yeah. bad person shoots someone with an AR, the rest of us who are responsible deal. pay the price for that person's action. Same yeah. thing in law enforcement. Yeah. We pay the price for the people who screw up and it mm -hmm. just trickles up, doesn't trickle down. Yeah. And, you know, it, it is what it is. As far as things that get my goat in the field, uh, there's not, I, I don't get an elevated heart rate too often. I mean, I'm pretty stress inoculated, uh, but what gets me going is my own personal negligence. Yeah. What I mean by that, um, the last one that was big for me where I had a, a, a little bit of adrenaline dump, a big adrenaline uh -huh. dump, is it was on an approach to a car. And I, I was looking around, but I was more hyper-focused on what was going on in the car because there was multiple occupants, some more uh -huh. gang members. Yeah. And I walked right by someone hiding in the bush right next to me. Uh -huh. And I didn't register it until after I passed them. Uh, and you just knew like, oh, my God. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, I know that. So yeah. I walked past and I went, what did I just see? I turn around with the light and here's a dude crunched down uh, behind the bush. Uh -huh. It happened to be a homeless person. God bless right? him. <laughs> but if it wasn't, mm. I'm done. Yeah. I screwed up. Yeah. I screwed up on my approach. So when I do things like that, that's what gets my heart pumped. I can sit, we can have a 4 a.m. deployment in the, in the MRAP yeah. uh, for an armed subject barricaded, and I'm sleeping on the way there. I don't, yeah. I've done it so many times. I don't, it doesn't get my heart rate up. Right. Stuff like that gets my heart rate up because I just screwed up bad. Yeah. And you know it deep inside so, yourself. <laughs> and, you know, and, and it's, it, it, it's an infrequent occurrence, but it does happen. Mm -hmm. And I learned from those. Yeah. I don't just take an experience and say, Oh, you know that you know I screwed up because we all screw up. But yeah. what did you learn from the screw up? If you're mm -hmm. still standing, what did you learn? How are you going to do things different in the next time? Was was this complacency issue? I mm -hmm. mean, it might have been, or was it a hyper focus on the vehicle that I wasn't scanning my environment as I was moving up and approaching the car? Where to go? What's in, in my immediate environment? I mean, it could be a com combination of a lot of things. But the result is, whatever I did, uh, put me at a disadvantage. Yeah. I'm always thinking offensively. What puts me in a position of advantage to the situation that I need to deal with? Always ongoing change. Always me at the advantage, the subject at the disadvantage. And it, it, you know, and in that point in time, I failed. Yeah. With a lot of these happened, but that's what gets my goat. Right. No, I dig it, man. With a lot of the real world violence stuff that I'd be posting, it's always like I'll, you'll see the tide turning. Like you'll see like the victim not paying attention. And then you'll see like the wolf, like getting these advantages on them and positioning before they strike. And then just every time I get sent a video or I post something, I'm like, oh, here it comes. Here it comes. And you can see it. And I, if there is one thing I'd say is like, yeah, keeping that tactical advantage in the situation is like, that's like, that's where the fight, I mean, it doesn't begin, but it's important. Yeah. What would you say would be a scary, like, have you had like a scariest moment on the job that you can talk about? Yeah. Uh, and it's probably not what you think. It's, it's yeah. not, it's not guys with, uh, it was you know, like you know, AKs and not with people trying to kill you. Yeah. Uh, the scariest moment for me, interestingly enough, was, uh, had to do with a female suicide. Okay. Female. Okay. And, uh, she, uh, 
uh, I made contact with her in a parking lot. Uh, my partner was walking up as well. She had slice marks all over her arm from a razor blade. She cut yeah. herself up. And um, my partner approaches her to make contact with her. And all of a sudden, she starts slicing his neck. His neck. His okay. neck. Okay. okay. What appeared to be slicing the neck. Uh, she attacked him. Yeah. I said right before he grabbed her, he's got something in her hand. He's got something in her hand. He yeah. grabbed her. She went to town. Wow. So, uh, I end up. I, it's a razor blade first too. Impulse Ooh. was to create distance. So yeah. for whatever reason, I just drop kicked her right in the stomach, hard as I could. Front kick right in the stomach, separated her. She fell, buckled over, pulled my taser out, uh, and was just going to tase her. But I happened to give her a command, and she just gave up. Okay. Well, she had she she didn't have a razor blade, and I thought so. What I thought in my mind for that moment mm. was she was slicing my partner's neck open. Right. The scariest thing to me is not Golly. you shooting me, is not you attacking me, and me not yeah. backing up my partner. My partner getting injured because I didn't do something. Right. Yeah. So I, I know this sounds trivial, but to me that oh. was <laughs> the most frightening thing in the world is to watch my partner go down, act, and his neck being ripped apart. Well, she ended up having a, a pair of tweezers in her hand. She was trying to stab him in the neck with it, but she just ended up getting his vest and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. But it could have been a lethal situation for him. Yeah. Uh, certainly if I didn't act immediately and jump in there and do something, yeah. uh, he could have been stabbed in the neck. But, you know, again, this is a suicidal subject, you mm-hmm. know, doing it, it just for me. The scariest thing is what is, is my negligence going to contribute to someone else's demise or them getting injured. Yeah. I don't know why it is for me that it's less about right. my own personal uh, safety. It's more about my relationship with my team members them or down. my partners and them getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Because I, I've had lots of violence. I've been shot. I've been stabbed. I mean, I've had <laughs> lots of bad shit happen, lots of fights, lots of broken bones. Yeah. But that stuff is what scares me the most. Yeah. Well, I don't know why I'm wired that way, but it's that protective nature in me that. Yeah. You know, well, you so can. That would have been the scariest moment for me. Thinking that my partner's neck is being lanced open with a razor blade. Jeez. No, I agree 100%. I'm the same way. I think that mindset is woven deep into masculine culture, all the way back to the Spartans and uh, all of them, like the samurais, because you see a lot of like. We're locking shields. I'm here for my guys in the Marine Corps. I can die with my honor, but yo, I'll be, I ain't going to let anything happen to my brothers, you know, and I'll die over that, you know, and that is like what really weaves us together. I think it's, it's kind of that masculine. I think it's part of the fabric that's helped men make the world what it is, is being able to be so concerned about uh, letting our honor kind of be tarnished by the guys that we fight with, letting them down. You know, it's yep. kind of half yep. the reasons why, like, you could be shot or messed up and your buddies would be like, you good? And you're like, I'm good. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's right. still that, to that same, like, you know, I can still contribute, get me back in the fight kind of thing uh, mentality. Man. Yeah, that and, and would there, be. There, there's something to be said is we fight for each other. Yeah. And that really is it. You know, I, and I remember it, it's that cheesy uh, Black Hawk Down, most beautiful romantic movie in the, in the moment in the movie where Hoot's like, nah, man, I do it for the guy next to me. Once those rounds start flying, all the diplomacy and all that stuff, it just goes out the window, you know, and it, it sounds so cliche because it's been true for a long time. 
and, <laughs> you know? and, that, and, and you know, some people don't rise to that occasion. It's true. They, they don't, they, they, they've hide. They're, they're self-protective nature yeah. comes in. They're not going to step in front of the bullet. They're not. And there's plenty of instances where guys have, you know, to save oh. their squad jumped on a grenade. I mean, yeah. that was their impulse. I mean, yeah. talk about a friggin' hero. Talk Split about a warrior second. mentality. Yeah. You know, I'm going to take it for you because that's the kind of person I am. But we're not all like that. No. And I'm not saying it's bad that you're not like that, but don't be in a career where exactly. you need to be there for your friggin' brothers and yeah. sisters. Know that Find about yourself. Yeah. yeah. Before it's we a get selfless there. kind of career when you're willing to, to do that for others. Then okay. not a, it's not, you know, much like Girl Scouts, you know, <laughs> being a protector, being a, being a, a soldier is yeah. not for everybody. No, heck no, it's not, man. Uh-uh. The, um, Yeah. That's that. Yeah, that's that's a good scariest moment. What did you say your proudest moment is? And then we'll get into this this uh, PowerPoint stuff. Ah, proudest moment. Yeah, when you're like, you know what, this is what I do this for, or you felt validated. Everything you're like, man, this is it. Not it, you know, but like this was awesome. It, 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 I'd have to say my proudest moment is taking someone at their worst moment, mm. whether it's a victim or or even a suspect. Mm-hmm. And being able to to get them into a position where they're okay, mm-hmm. where they're not. Let's just take a victim for where where there's a death or there's a violent encounter, and they're just so distraught that yeah. their entire world has been pulled out from under them. And being able to sit down and spend the time and connect with them. This is the compassion part, mm-hmm. uh, where you're able to bring them back into a state of uh, I'm going to be okay. And, yeah. and, 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 and they don't want to leave your side. They don't want you to leave them mm-hmm. that, you know, they, they, they latch on to me that intrinsically, um, it's the connection that I seek. Mm-hmm. It's that, you know, making a difference. Those are the things that why I'm in this job is to make a difference. Really valuable. And it's not hurting the bad guy or taking a bad guy into custody. It's a humanity part of it mm-hmm. where you're taking someone that is in such a bad place and comforting them to the extent where you're making a difference in their life at that worst possible moment. Those mm-hmm. are, that's, I, I don't know, maybe that's it's just, me, maybe I'm a softy, but that's what's nah. meaningful to me. Uh, it's not all the, the violent bullshit. It's, yeah. it's the humanity part that connects with me the most. Does yeah. that make sense? A hundred percent. I think there's this weird, I haven't been able to articulate it quite right yet, but there's this kind of, I feel like truly strong men have this side where like you're strong. You, you like love to give your strength to people as much as you can. You know, like you see someone who's shattered by this circumstance and you want to like, in some ways, like help them understand it's going to be okay. You want to, you're able to be compassionate because you're strong. Like all the bravado stuff is the farthest from strength. It's ridiculous. It's like, you see that from the weakest people they're hiding and trying to like peacock because they don't have it on a deep level of knowing, you know? And so I find with like the strongest guys, like, and guys that have been through a lot, you have a deeper connection to humanity. You have more compassion and you want to give that. And you want to show people it's okay to be vulnerable. You want to show people that it's okay to be, um, you like want to empower people because you're strong kind of, it's interesting. Right. Yeah, uh, exactly. I think that's well, well put. And I, I think, I think that's what separates people in general is what they're willing to impart for others. Yeah. Uh, even at the worst moment. And, and you know, it is a skill. 
and it mm-hmm. is a it's a it, it is a type of person. If you're so worried about how people perceive you or your role, then you're looking out for yourself. Yeah, and you don't have that strength. Other people, you know. Yeah, and I think also it's healthy masculinity too on on some levels too, man. You know, the other stuff is kind of really unhealthy. And not that yep. only men can have that, but I think the way that we're talking about it, you know, it's it's a version of healthy masculinity. I'm strong to serve. We hit this slide during one of your courses, and I thought this was awesome just to share with everyone. Great content that like got me thinking outside of the box. And you had these were factors. Uh, on this slide factors to what is it surviving a violent encounter or i think these uh, so these, <clears throat> these are principles i think that we're talking about these factors okay. are indeed principles uh and and things that i want people to consider um um in any encounter where they're they may be subject to violence or subject to having to de-escalate or solve a problem Okay. Um, if I'm, if I'm thinking about the right slide, so ask me the questions mm-hmm. and that'll kind of direct to direct us to the right place. Survivability versus winning. Right. So, uh, you know, we hear a lot of people talk about, uh, I survived this, uh, fight. And um, so I can teach. And so I can <laughs> yeah, survival. It's all about survival. Uh, yeah. survival to me, it's fighting. Isn't about surviving. Right. Fighting is about winning because surviving is I got a bullet in my stomach. I got an, I got an eye that's poked out. I got a broken arm. I can't, you know, I, I made it, but at what cost did I make it? Mm -hmm. Winning is you're there on the ground incapacitated and I'm standing here and I have won this fight with very little injury to myself. Both still healthy. physically and maybe emotionally, because yeah. by winning, the, you know, even <clears throat> even in the violent encounters that I've had personally, where I I, I did get shot, I still mm. won. Mm. So if I didn't win, I think that would have affected me emotionally. Absolutely, I would have had bad dreams about. I've never had a bad dream about any of the anything that happened to me mm-hmm. because I kept fighting. Yeah, yeah. I survived that one. I'll okay. admit I didn't want to survive it. But I, I, I'm, I, I didn't take a bullet to the head yeah. on my way to a bullet somewhere else. Yeah. But the reality is I won. I incapacitated the threat. Uh, and I made it out of court. without. <laughs> and I made it out of court. That's big. Went all That's the way around. Big. Yeah. So that was good. With that being said, um, how do you create a training objective between survival and winning? And that mm-hmm. is very simple is I'm not interested in being this much better than the people I fight. Mm, man, that's this good. much better than the people I fight. Heck yeah. Right? So it doesn't have to be a fair fight. I'm not right. interested in a fair fight. I don't want to fight someone that fair. is on my level. Yeah. Because it's going to make it harder for me. Or it's going to so be expensive. I'm not assuming probably. that, I'm assuming everyone is as good as me, but the mm. reality of it is they're probably not. Right. At least when it comes to a firefight. That's yeah. for sure. So with that being said, is I want my students to understand that it's not okay to be just this much better. Work to be this much better because you're reacting to force, which puts you at a disadvantage. So they can shoot at you as much as they want and make them as much noise as they want. But when your gun comes out and you direct it towards that person, that threat, they're taking rounds uh, and Absolutely. they're simply making noise and you're being effective at what you do. Right. So I want people to understand that 
that's where I want them over here, not over here. Yeah. And that's the true nature between winning and, 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 uh, and surviving at least to me. Heck yeah. No, that's 100%. You, you, (laughs) you survive, man. You're not healthy. You're not combat effective, you know, so survival shouldn't be the goal. And I love what you said about not interested in a fair fight, like on a daily basis, we're aiming to just widen that gap. Like whenever you see me posting on a Saturday, Saturday morning, and I'm like, yo, I'm out here. I'm going to shoot this competition. Hopefully my enemy's waking up, going to 7-Eleven, getting a big gulp and a Slurpee with a hangover. And that's yep. the guy I'm going to run into. I'm going to go on ahead and get this training in, you know? Uh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And that's usually the case, but you can't. Hopefully. You can't can't always assume that. But, exactly. You know. <laughs> there was a few years ago they found uh, U.S. Special Forces guys running around with the cartel. I remember, anyway, I mean, it was a couple of years ago, <laughs> you know, so... You know, you can't, you can't expect that anymore. Yeah. Mercenaries, mercenaries, man, you know? Um, and we've, now we've seen, uh, active shooters with body armor and, uh, stinking rifles and the whole nine, you know, and, and former, you know, former when military guys, borderline guys. It was, I think he was a military guy. Yeah. Yeah. There was one in Dallas. I think it was a Marine and he, I mean, he, shot i want to say three cops was it yeah. two years ago um so we the, the days of expecting that we're dealing with uh under trained folks are coming to an end i mean and then the parachuters they were also i think they may have been something like french foreign legion guys like so yeah now the game's getting more and more real access to information is there access to equipment is there you know yeah. So it's, you know, you gotta, you gotta try to make that gap larger and larger on a daily basis. If you're not, you're Don't wrong. assume the enemy doesn't have skill. Yeah, absolutely. Skill versus luck. So, you know, I have felt throughout my life in bad circumstances, um, that I might've been lucky. Mm. So, so the question is luck does luck is preparedness, a component of luck. Right. Okay. And I yeah. think it is. And I yeah. think it is good to be lucky, but the more prepared we are, the more opportunity luck has mm-hmm. of shining its very nice face. Yeah, the luckier we get. Yes. And luck also, the feeling of luck also contributes uh to a mental state. And I'll let me let me clarify that a little bit more. So when you debrief officers involved in shootings, oftentimes they felt that they got lucky Mm. as they weren't fast enough because they didn't make a decision fast enough or quick enough. Okay. As a result of that feeling that, you know, it wasn't necessarily skillful. They just got lucky. That changes the way they make future contacts with other individuals. And an officer that's involved in the shooting is, I forgot the percentage, uh, but they are more likely to get in a second shooting one or two years later um, because of the first. And that is because the feeling Mm. that they either didn't work hard enough or that luck played a role in their uh, winning that fight, fighting that fight. So, um, so then they kind of like kind of create what's that. So they kind of create that circumstance again, or they not necessarily create it. They're just decisive in their action. Less Uh. questioning. Okay. They recognize the trouble quicker. Maybe. So they, for instance, they might've saw a guy holding a gun here, you know, Mm -hmm. in this position, it wasn't pointed directly at him. They didn't take any action. 
and that guy ended up presenting the gun out and missed. They mm-hmm. shot, they hit, they went down. So what does this tell you next time you get in a contact with a guy with a gun like this? Get ready Maybe to shoot him give him a chance for me to get lucky. <laughs> I give him a command, drop the weapon, drop the weapon. He doesn't drop the weapon, I'm shooting. Yeah. Right? I mean, you mm-hmm. see where that dynamic could very uh, clearly exist. Same thing yeah, with the sure. nine, same thing with the bat or any potential uh, weapon used for lethal force is it changes because in the fight or flight state, we are off. We often, most of us often have a change of perception, specifically Mm -hmm. time. We, and this is from experience too. You will feel that you're not fighting hard enough or well enough Mm -hmm. that you're losing. Yeah. Because your perception of that is so skewed and slowed down. And that's part of, our training objective that we talked about is, you know, people press the trigger a lot faster than they think they're pressing the trigger and they haven't developed the, con- the skill set or the control to manage how fast they're pulling the trigger. As a result, that gun's flapping everywhere. Rounds are going everywhere. They're missing the target yeah, because yeah. they've never explored pressing the trigger that fast in training because they've never had to because they're qualifying and they don't have any time constraint. So out of impulse, they end up running that gun without the proper mechanics to support the speed mm. by which their impulse is dictating mm-hmm. not choice it's but impulse. impulse at this point yeah yeah so you got to be able to uh to create some sort of training training objectives to handle what may very well be a sheer impulse while they're fighting the gun comes out it orients toward the threat i don't got sight picture i don't got shit <laughs> and i'm pressing yeah, the trigger as fast as i can mm-hmm. well you're not going to be too successful if you don't do that same thing for some sort of training objective. Yeah. Because by golly, we know people do it in the field. We see thousands of videos like that every day, right? Absolutely. All the time. <laughs> you see that guy getting sight picture? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Single hand operation. Bam, bam, bam. No sight picture. Pressing, flapping in the wind. So Point my shoot. whole argument is why not just explore these concepts while training and hope that they translate to some effective principle uh, or understanding while fighting. If I train it, mm-hmm. if I train it and I use it, I'm likely to be more successful at it uh, when I need to use it based on those impulsive natures that we see while fighting. Mm-hmm. Makes sense? Heck yeah, 100%. Before and after the fight. I think a lot of what the reason we brought that up in the combat essentials class yeah. is because shooting and social media, <laughs> I don't know what it's become. And I'm, I'm, I'm still doing what. You do what's popular. Yeah. You do what people want to see. That's how you get their attention. Gonna, what's that? That's how you get their attention. That's how, well, it's, it's, you want, I mean, it's, it's basically become a, an online competition. Who can shoot the fastest? Who can yeah. look most mechanically uh, um, perfect? Um, and we've lost perspective Who's of it? some of the elements that really need to be conveyed to people. And that's, what do I do before I get into the fight? And what do I do after I get into the fight? Because everyone has got the meat and potatoes is the pressing of the trigger. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I do try to cover as much as I can concerning, you know, what are some of the things you need to look for? What are some of the things you need to do prior to the fight? And number one, not everything requires a commitment to shoot out of the holster. In fact, 99.9% of all law enforcement contacts don't require you to transition your finger to the trigger, but your weapon is pointed at a subject and you're giving that okay. subject commands, right? You're yeah. de-escalating the situation. So from a mechanic standpoint before the fight, 
before the fight is draw your weapon with your finger index and give some verbal commands to that paper target, to that steel target, because talking is a big component of de-escalating. And if you don't train talking while training, it ain't going to happen while you're in the moment. So we've got to reinforce the things that we're likely that we want to reinforce through a training objective that will translate into prudent, you know, prudent exercises or, or uh, in the field or prudent things in the field. So before the fight may very well be the attempt to understand yourself in relation to the threat, in relation to your environment. So an ongoing assessment of where I'm at, what I'm doing, where am I going to go through that contact, if it's possible. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it just you know, you pull your gun out and you return fire. And I tell people this, well, Mike, how do I know when I'm supposed to shoot somebody? And I tell them probably the greatest tool that you will use is you won't have to think about shooting somebody. It's not something like, oh, should I shoot them or shouldn't I shoot them? So I always say this, if you have to think about shooting someone, there's probably another force option at that point. So, you know, before the fight really is about you understanding your position in relation to the threat if you have that time and taking advantage of your environment to put you yourself in a position of advantage over who you're talking to for instance i'm there's a tree three feet away from me and i'm out here pointing the gun at you not utilizing that tree as a point of cover you know yeah so that's just it's just like here's possible salvation a couple feet away from you and yeah. you're so locked into the problem you don't perceive how to use your environment to your advantage, mm-hmm. right? So you're not fighting yet. You're not physically fighting. You're, it's, you're, you, you, you could be. So mm-hmm. what are you using in your environment to provide you additional security? Um, and then exit strategies, retreat. You know, all of this has to go into your mind. So this is a thinking process, right? Think, yeah, It's not absolutely. stand in one place, draw your weapon, point your weapon and shoot. It's how do I constantly evaluate where I am in relation to the problem and move to a position of authority over that subject. That's a thinking process, right? Absolutely. But something we can train because we can create obstacles. We can create decision-making through contact. So understanding that 99.9% of all contact, at least for law enforcement, is in the challenge position, finger index on that weapon. How do I impart uh, with my students the ability to use their environment to their advantage? Because they may not have to shoot them. Yeah. But if they do, what improves your, uh, your, you know, your ability, survivability. To- yeah. And yeah. when, when ability, right. Yeah. And then also ability. like noticing that, you know, tree that you could use for cover before something happens, you know, like we were, I was on doing something the other night and a vehicle starts like slow rolling past all of us, you know, and I look at my, I'm with two just like blank civilians, you know, and I'm like, you guys found cover yet? Cases of drive by, and they're all like, ah, ah, ah. And I, like for me, I'm already kind of thinking like, all right, I got a car over here to my right. You know, what's this guy slowing down here in this context of situation for? You know, but I say that to them, and they're like, oh, 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 and I'm like, just pay attention. You know, like it's right. No, it's, it's exactly right. The feedback in your environment should change the scope of your decision making. So it's an yeah, ongoing yeah. assessment because, like Conver- you said, yeah. that car could have been, you know. That's that car could have been a problem. So what are you going to do? What, how are you going to factor in that equation uh, into the equation you're dealing with? Right. And an ongoing assessment is prior to the fight. Post-engagement. Now, yeah. we get a lot of people talk about the scan and assess and all this. It's mm-hmm. a range theatric. 
got some cottage uh, going on. Yeah, whatever they're doing, all this. Yeah. You know, people, and arguably, people have made it theatrical because I was just talking to one of my good friends, uh, our range master, about you know this class that we had uh, last month. It was kind of an open. Uh, it's like a range day for. It's more for his group. Okay. And I'm watching their recoveries, and I look at the targets, and they they're they're bad. But they have these elaborate, very stylish recoveries where they're done shooting the target and it's a sweep here and a sweep here. Come to school, very shoulders out, very exaggerated, 180, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, yeah. It's just very methodical and it's like a dance. And it's very, they're very into the style of how this whole recovery looks like. Right, right, like, right. This is why people make make fun, fun of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> this is exactly why. I don't like to use the word "looks like shit," but you didn't yeah. shoot the target really well. But you have this whole dance that you do at the end <laughs> of your string, right? <laughs> yes. And 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 so I see why people are going. This is a range theatrical. But let me tell you, um, yeah. you got to know where you're at in relation to your environment, the and your subject, all the friggin' time. Damn and the right. only way you do that is to consciously assess. Yeah. You got to do it. And, you know, if you don't, you shot a guy right here. He's on the ground. I'm going to hold. Look, yeah, he's not moving. Yeah. And how much, how long, this is a trained process. I can bring the gun back to this position. Look, look right, left. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Look behind me. Nothing, nothing, nothing. My sectors are freaking clear. Move to a different position. Move yeah. to cover. Move somewhere. Yes. It doesn't have to be a sequence of events that are predicated on a 180 <laughs> static range environment. Right. I don't need to look behind me. I can walk around the threat and use that circular motion around the threat, keeping them in the center to assess my environment. Just an Thank option, you. right? Thank so you. post-engagement is all about improving your security, making sure that the, the, the subject is incapacitated, he's no longer a threat, analyzing who is in your environment that can help me, who is in your environment that can hurt me, and where am I going to go next? Right. That is what the cognitive process should be. 100%. And we don't talk about that enough in social media because it's not sexy. It's boring. And finding work, man. Find work. Find work. (laughs) Find work. Figure out where you need to cover. Figure out who you need to call. Yeah, exactly. Who you need to make. Make friends because they're going to be at the next fight when you go to court. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you over there, did you see what happened? Come here, help me, help me, help me, help me. Yeah. You know, make friends. That's the truth, man. When you go to court, disruption. Disruption. Uh, mm-hmm. Was that in the context of, so there's two forms of disruption. Um, I think in that, the context on that screen, disruption uh-huh. is simply um, how do I stop, how do I disrupt you from mm-hmm. successfully yeah. hurting me? Okay. Kind of the OODA loop. Kind of, it is very much um, a component of OODA loop, but Mm. more importantly, if we are dealing with a reactionary assault where I'm Mm. reacting to force, good guy situation. (laughs) Okay, you're fighting me. I Mm. I don't see it coming. You've got Mm. the jump on me, right? Yeah. I I have to disrupt that attack in order for me to have the opportunity to attack you. Correct. Mm -hmm. Right. So. This is what this is the name of my company, Assault Dynamics. And what the changing the assault dynamic simply means is how do I stop reacting to your force and force you to react to mine? 
So the longer this fight is drawn out, the worse it is for me on two levels. Number one, if I'm reacting to you, there's nothing offensive about what I'm doing. I'm reacting, I'm blocking, I'm blocking, I'm blocking, I'm blocking, I'm running, I'm running, I'm blocking. Um, Number one. Number two, for people who are not stress inoculated, and here's a good example. Yeah, that's uh, Have you ever, you've almost been in a car accident before, right? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Did you not press the brake and avoid being, uh, smashing this into the car in front of you? Absolutely. You did it, right? Mm-hmm. Did, the, did the effects of what happened occur when you press the brake or right after? Like the, the, uh, shakiness and all that stuff came right after. Right, right after. during there was like focus and. <laughs> you know? focus yeah. And you had, so it was safe to assume the longer the fight or the event draws out, yeah. The greater the effects of adrenaline or fight or flight is to my system. Yeah, the shock so here. To end the fight early puts us at an advantage from our own bodies working against us. Yeah. In some ways, it works for us because it's doing things to heighten our state of being, but it also diminishes our scope of our environment, our Absolutely. tunnel vision, our uh, perception, um, our shakiness, our fine gross motor skills, which, by the way, I don't. I do believe in them, but I don't believe in them when it comes to weapon manipulation, you know, to the whole motor slide skill. lock because your hands are going to be frozen. Bullshit. You've done that a hundred times. You slide yeah. lock a hundred times. Yeah. So my point being is you have to disrupt the attack and disruption is movement, lateral movement. Heck yeah. So if I can disrupt the attack, it provides me an opportunity to change the assault dynamic. You tried to shoot me. I made it hard for you to shoot me. But now I'm more skillful than you. I'm going to shoot you. Now you're reacting to my force. I changed the salt right now. Heck yeah. Taking yep. the fight to them. Yep. So that simply means we talk about people always move to cover. Immediately, mm-hmm. the sign of, of, of a, uh, a fight, uh, improve your position by moving to cover. That is a defensive mindset, not an offensive mindset. So just like the Marines... Yep. Marines, this comes from the Marines. Take yeah. the fight to the battle. <laughs> Heck yeah. Overwhelming force, overwhelming force power. Mm-hmm. Take the fight to the bad guy. The same principle can apply while fighting in the street. I ain't going to yeah. give you an opportunity to delay this. The inevitable is I'm going to take the damn fight to you. I'm not going to run to cover, reevaluate my environment, figure <laughs> out where did you go. Yeah. You started the fight. I'm going to end it right now. Attack the attacker. Right and Heck that's yeah. why we train. So we can do precisely that. Take yeah, the fight. Exactly. Doesn't happen in all the circumstances. I mean, you got a, three guys with a rifle shooting at you. I don't know. That's a you gotta be smart that. about it. The odds <laughs> are you probably need to get into a better position. Yeah. You got a bat, knife, gun. I'm gonna take the fight to you. Oh yeah, attack the attacker all day. Heck yeah. Um, reactive versus proactive. Yeah, and that that goes back to the original concept of disruption. Mm-hmm. Um, reactive is very much what we deal with in law enforcement and what civilians deal with. We're reacting to something which puts yeah. us behind the eight ball. Right. Military Case can observe a combatant a hundred yards away, formulate a plan, and create a preemptive, proactive attack. Right? Yeah. Heck yeah. There's three guys with AKs over there. We're going to sneak up. We're going to use our armor as cover, and we're going to take them down before we get to them. Yep. There's very few instances where we can create a proactive attack. We can have proactive decision-making as far as our planning and our tactics. But at the end of the day, the bad guy is really dictating what our when response is going to be. Yeah. Because I can't use more force than is being used upon me. 
Mm-hmm. I can't. I have to be able to articulate reasonableness wow. of me, of you. You know, you're holding up a stick like this. I mean, could you poke my eye out at 10 feet with this? Maybe. But can <laughs> I shoot you because of this? No. Nah. Probably not. Can I justify? Yeah, shooting you. It's going to be a big stretch. So I have to justify my actions based on the reasonableness of the force I use, which puts me behind the eight ball. I'm not, I can develop a plan, but I'm more reacting to force rather than proactively coming up with a plan to incapacitate you from distance or through overwhelming uh, force, right? So that's the difference. We need Another, to realize that we're more in a reactionary state than we are in a proactive state. Yeah. Another reason to get that training in, <laughs> you know, because sure. you're going to have these smaller time. You got to make better decisions in shorter amounts of time. Low frequency versus high frequency. So this is this is this really relates to decision making. OK. Um, so let me use a type three stoppage as an example. OK. So I'm an officer on the street. Uh, I shoot two rounds. Uh, I'm fighting somebody, and I end up with a type three, which is a failure to extract, right? So mm-hmm. I, I have the worst kind of stoppage in my gun possible. Yeah, it's like a... <laughs> I, got, I, got two, I got three other magazines here, and I got the initial magazine that I've used. Do I want to spend the extra time saving those rounds for the fight that may happen with somebody else or a long-drawn fight I have? possibly with this guy or do i want to execute and resolve the problem as quickly as possible because i meant to shoot you but i can't because my gun isn't working so ditch those rounds strip the magazine get rid of that problem clear the problem out reinsert a new magazine rack and stay in the fight so what low frequency decision making is versus high frequency decision making is our low frequency occurrences dictating are choices and my choices are usually for the fight that is in front of me and not the possible fight that is may occur 20 minutes later or five minutes later so Mm -hmm. one is more i'm doing a tactic that's diminishing my success right in front of me or a possibility that may happen later or am i focusing on the fight that's in front of me and i'm going to worry about the fight that's going to happen later what's dictating my choices and that's really where low frequency and high frequency come into play is through a decision-making process. Are the things that we're deploying compromising what I know is in front of me for what may happen later? Does that make okay. sense? Heck yeah. So it's like kill the closest enemy, prioritize and execute, essentially. As right. far as it's – now, if it's the only magazine I had, I don't have to yeah. save it. Yeah. If, yeah. I, if I got 21 rounds times three left on my belt, who cares that I'm dumping a full magazine on the ground? Yeah. Who cares? I got, you know, what do I got? 63 rounds to resolve this problem. To fix the problem, yeah. Yeah. So it's prioritizing through that. So that's one way to use high frequency, low frequency. Heck yeah. And then finally, civil, uh, criminal and civil liability. Yep. And, you know, that's that's a big one. That's a big one. (laughs) Both for law enforcement and for civilians, they have to understand authority. Yeah. The authority, what gives them the authority to deploy a lethal force device, whether it's a blade, whether it's a gun, whether it's a bat, uh, even less lethal options. And um, what we need to understand is that for a criminal case, mm-hmm. uh, all we need to do is present reasonable doubt to win the criminal 
proceeding. Okay. A civil hearing is a preponderance of the evidence. The threshold is much uh, uh, lower to achieve a conviction. So even though you may win the criminal component of it, it doesn't yeah. mean you're going to win the civil component of it. So wow. when we're talking about criminal liability, I shot somebody, people have to understand, was the deployment of that weapon reasonable? And reasonableness is what is going to be weighed by 12 jurors. Mm -hmm. Would a person in a, would a reasonable person in a similar situation act the same way? In the same way. Mm -hmm. And that is the scrub. So the first thing you have to establish is why am I deploying the weapon? Does it meet the elements? And what are the elements? Imminent threat, not perceived threat. Oh, he looked mean. So I drew my weapon, my weapon and pointed it directly at him. Nah, that's not going to fly. Yeah, you're... So imminent means a threat to great bodily harm or death. That's an imminent threat. So that gives me justification to draw. Okay, not perceived. Uh, and that changes. I mean, a, a four foot six female and a six foot eight guy with, you know, something in his hand. Does that, I mean, is he potentially a threat? Yeah. 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 Even with fists and he's coming at her like this. That's he can reasonable kill. for you to draw a weapon on that. Because yeah. of disparagement in, in size. And, so yeah, it doesn't always have to be, well, he's got a gun, therefore I can draw mine. You have to be able to articulate the reasonableness of that act. Would someone else feel that their life was in danger uh, based on that circumstance? Mm -hmm. So if you look at imminent threat and reasonableness as a justification, you're pretty good at, yeah. at justifying that. The, uh, the, the civil component is it, it is a crapshoot, you know, because almost every officer involved shooting we've had, we've settled with the families. Even when they we've had officers shot and we still pay out to the families for wrongful death. Man. So just be prepared. Even if you win the both the criminal and the civil, you are going to be in debt for a long time. So the moral of the story is if you don't have to shoot someone, just don't shoot someone. Don't shoot them. Golly. <laughs> get the hell uh, out of here. I mean, to, you win every fight you don't get into. Right. It's as simple as that. Man. <laughs> yeah. So faster than you, foo. Like, get away, man. Get out of there. Yeah. Heck yeah. So yeah, those, that was, I wanted to run through that slide, man. That's awesome. So in closing, man, um, favorite quote, mantra, favorite quote, the mantra, I, I got a, I got a, I got a few of them. You know, I would say that most of my favorite closing mantras, mantras are related to business. Okay. And related to people. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to extract an excerpt from Jim Collins book. Good to great. And that is get the right people on the bus, get the wrong people off the bus and get the right people on the right seats or in the right seats. Heck yeah. You know, and that is, has to do with so much in life, your friendships, your businesses, your business relationships. At the end of the day, it's people that make or break any organization mm -hmm. and it's people that make or break who you are. It's the people that you associate with the people that you you learn from that you work with, you know, and if I had a choice, I'm going to surround myself with people that make me a better person and embody the things both, you know, morally and, and uh, I would say mostly morally um, that, that support what I believe in surround yourself with people that build you up and that support 
you being a better person and don't hang around with people that bring you down. Okay. You know, so that my closing statement would be twofold. The first one I used and also the second one is kind of how I live my life is, is under that pretense of who I surround myself with. Yeah. I always say that everything good and bad, many things good and bad that come into your life will come through your relationships. I agree 100%. Yeah. And then do you have a habit or something that you do on a daily basis that you think makes you a better person or better at what you do? You know, um, I got habits I don't like to do, like chew. That's probably my <laughs> chew and Diet Coke are my only vices. Yeah, but, Diet Coke. You know, for me, I would say that on a daily basis, I am always looking to find ways to improve what I'm doing, whether yeah. it's my understanding of something, a subject, or my ability to execute something. I am always looking to improve under the under the pretense that I realize I have one life to live. Awesome. And time is is a time wow. is a variable that I can't control, and I only have so much time here. So. What am I going to do within that time frame that either enriches my own understanding of something or my own ability or enriches someone else's? Okay. Because the legacy that we will leave on this earth is a legacy we leave on uh, leave to others. Mm-hmm. That's what that is our legacy is what we impart on other people. You know, and I, I, I otherwise we're why are we here? We're wasting our time. Heck yeah, what, what is our calling? What is our calling? And for me, it's to develop somebody else, make them a better person, and in turn, hope that they do the same for the next person. Um, I guess that would be my mantra. Heck yeah, man. That's so (laughs) awesome. Contribution. It's big. Yes, sir. It's it's been an honor having you, man, and spending this time with you. Uh, All right, brother. Lots of depth. Learn so much. Where can people find you? Real quick, uh, they can out. go either to my Instagram or Facebook pages, Knockout Lights. Uh, also, have a web page, AssaultDynamics.com. Um, but you know, I spend most. Of, I I don't use social media as a marketing tool to increase revenue. I'm not a revenue. Dri- I'm an information driving system. So mm-hmm. you know what? DM me, send uh, uh, on Instagram or Facebook, uh, or comment on a post, and I try to get back to everybody. Mm-hmm. So my objective is just to provide information to give you something to think about. Nothing more. Nothing's doctrine. Heck yeah. That's awesome. Once again, Mike, thanks so much for finally, I'm glad you finally did it. Good to see you. Uh, Yes, sir. Heck yeah. All right. We'll talk soon. See you you out there on the interwebs, man. All right. Stay safe. You got it, brother. Thanks. Later. Boom. Yo, special announcement. We've got the very first protector symposium coming up this November 15th and 16th. Check the website, Byron Rogers Motivation, for more information about it. You can purchase tickets there. It's going to be amazing. We've got Ed Caldron and Yosef Badu coming on to teach us some hardcore soft skills. Check it out. Get involved. I guarantee you won't be disappointed. We're going to have a great time leveling up as protector. So check the website, ByronRogersMotivation.com or ExecutiveProtectionLifestyle.com for all the details and to purchase you and your security detail, police department, or families tickets out. Boom. And to support this podcast, go to executiveprotectionlifestyle.com and contribute to our Patreon account. That Patreon account is what 
helps me make this podcast possible, contributing to this brand, what we're doing here, making it so that I can bring better guests on, making it so that we can plan more events and just expand the contribution to the private security industry and also to make an America a safer place by teaching people how to protect themselves and the mindset behind that, the lifestyle behind that. You guys are already killing it. $1 a month, $5 a month, 10 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month. Whatever you can do that you know you would probably just lose in the mattress anyway or spend on McDonald's. Hey, you want to put it towards something that's going to good use? Put it towards a podcast and get involved in our, our Patreon account at executiveprotectionlifestyle.com. And if you want to find me, that's byronrogersmotivation.com. Um, you know, do whatever you can, contribute whatever you can to that Patreon account because it makes all of these things possible, ladies and gentlemen. So much love. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for making those contributions. You guys rock. We're already doing amazing there. And it's just because of you guys. So thanks once again for those contributions. Boom. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode of Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast. This whole entire thing actually just started off as a Facebook group that blew up and is one of the fastest growing, if not the fastest growing executive protection uh, Facebook group online. So if you haven't joined the Facebook group, join the Facebook group. Uh, Follow us on Instagram and check us out at executiveprotectionlifestyle.com. If you want to find me, that's Byron Rogers Motivation. And I'm on all the social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook as well. So until the next podcast, y'all, stay sharp out there. And as I say it, one mind, many weapons. Talk soon. Out.